0: You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the RAND Corporation. I'm Evan Banks.
1: And I'm Deanna Lee. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from RAND's latest research and commentary. It's March 20th. We're recording this week separately from our respective homes. Like many of you listening, we're working remotely due to the coronavirus pandemic. Social distancing measures like working from home, as well as limits on public gatherings and restaurant and school closures, have ramped up in the U.S. to contain the spread of COVID-19. As testing has increased, so has the number of confirmed U.S. cases, which more than doubled in recent days.
0: This crisis is unprecedented. It's affecting nearly every part of daily life. And so what we'll cover in this extended episode And what we hope to bring you in the coming weeks is a wide range of perspectives from RAND researchers who have expertise in a variety of areas, from epidemiology to economics to education and more. We know there's already an overwhelming amount of information about the coronavirus out there, but unfortunately, not all of it is accurate. So we're here to share insights from RAND researchers that are based on the evidence.
1: Right. And that's actually where we'll start today by discussing the importance of facts during this challenging time. Rand's Jennifer Cavanaugh literally wrote the book on truth decay, the diminishing role of facts and analysis in American public life. While she was writing that book a few years ago, she imagined a worst-case scenario that might make truth decay even worse than it already is. That worst-case scenario, a global pandemic. This moment, while Americans are all anxious about the coronavirus, is a perfect storm for misinformation. There's low public trust in institutions, including the media, the government, and even the medical community. Plus, there's a high volume of sometimes very vocal people who are not experts, but claim to be. And on top of this, most of us are feeling scared and vulnerable during this uncertain time. This can make it difficult to know what to believe. Kavanaugh says that individuals need to remember that facts and data matter. They have to lean on those who really are experts, who do have solid information. And it's these experts who should be looked to as resources as the pandemic continues to evolve. Evidence and facts should drive all of our decisions every day, says Kavanaugh. If we don't make our decisions that way, we can end up with serious and unwanted consequences. But there's potentially a silver lining when it comes to the coronavirus and truth decay. When Kavanaugh was studying previous periods of truth decay throughout American history, she found that these seem to end after some sort of catastrophe, like a war or the Great Depression. Some sort of moment when people realize the consequences of making decisions based on what they want to be true rather than the actual evidence. Will recent events with COVID-19 be enough to cause that kind of revelation and to help restore the role of facts and analysis?
0: Let's hope so. Now, let's turn to U.S. efforts to contain COVID-19. As we mentioned at the top of the show, social distancing has been the primary tool to prevent the spread of the coronavirus. In fact, dealing with a new disease for which people don't have an immunity, it's one of the only public health tools there is. Here's RAND's Dr. Laura Faherty discussing the importance of social distancing.
2: The term social distancing is becoming increasingly common, um, and um, it really refers to trying to keep physical distance uh, between people. Um, so it's a bit of a, a, a misnomer. We should call it probably you know, uh, physical distancing while trying to maintain social connectedness. And the idea is to keep yourself as far away from other people as possible and to avoid touching surfaces uh, that other people have touched, doorknobs and elevator buttons um, and things like that. Um, so the most important um, and simplest way to think of social distancing is if you are able to stay home, stay home, stay inside your house. If you go outside, make sure your outdoor activities uh, to maintain um, sort of some balance and and uh, an exercise when possible should be, you know, solo or with your immediate family members who you're already exposed to inside your house. Um, uh, I think that uh, sort of at a community and population level, really trying to limit any non-essential trips outside of your home uh, you know, to the basics, uh, getting basics like uh, essential medications, restocking food
0: supply, etc. The goal of these social distancing measures is to slow the spread of the virus and flatten the curve, a phrase you've probably heard over the past week or so. This helps prevent hospitals from being overwhelmed with new cases of COVID-19. Here's Rand's Dr. Courtney Gedangle. If
3: you think of sort of a bell curve that goes up, if you have it go up very steeply and we only have a certain capacity that's, you know, more or less fixed of ICU beds, healthcare systems are working on trying to move that line up of, you know, how many severe illnesses can be treated in hospitals. But that that all those cases above the line that they hit at the same time, um, we're going to, you know, have happened what we're seeing in Italy where um, reportedly doctors are having to choose who is able to be ventilated or who is able to be treated aggressively and we're really trying to avoid that. We're also trying to avoid healthcare workers getting infected and sick because ultimately that means we can't take good care of our patients. Um, If you flatten the curve, just imagine that same curve but with a much less sharp bell shape, so more of a flattened bell. And the idea is that the sort of peak of the curve stays closer to the actual capacity of the healthcare system. So while you may not be able to prevent the number of overall cases, you actually... Spread the amount of time over which they occur, and that allows um, healthcare providers, hospitals, everyone to actually be able to get earlier patients better, move them out, and then take on new patients. And also, obviously, has a huge impact not only for the care of coronavirus, but also enabling us to take care of all the other diseases that are not going to go away in the meantime um, during this pandemic. And so, with the measures you know that have been introduced over the last week, really centering around social distancing. So school closures, encouragement to telework, uh, retail store closure, closures, restaurants shifting to um, takeout and delivery, um, and also the measures that healthcare systems are taking to try and keep their healthcare workers healthy as well. We're trying to really sort of spread out the cases.
0: Now, everyone is thinking, how long will we have to practice social distancing to effectively flatten the curve? That's hard to know, but our experts say that it will be at least several weeks and potentially much longer. Here's how Dr. Faherty puts it, Quote, We should be mentally preparing ourselves for a marathon, not a sprint. There's a lot more to dig into from this discussion with our medical experts. You can find a summary on the RAND blog.
1: RAND researchers wrote this week about the potential of another approach to help with the COVID-19 response, telemedicine. Telemedicine is ideal for infectious disease control because it supports social distancing, this approach enables patients to stay home for certain visits, so it can help prevent clinic waiting rooms from becoming sites of transmission. Telemedicine could also play a role in triage during this crisis. It could be used to determine who needs to be tested for COVID-19 and who should come to the hospital for treatment. But telemedicine has already been around for decades, and it has yet to transform healthcare. In fact, less than 10% of U.S. adults have ever had a virtual doctor's visit. This is because widespread use of the technology still faces regulatory barriers. Also, there are some potential risks to expanding virtual visits in some ways. Still, our researchers think the coronavirus crisis might be a tipping point. They say this pandemic could and should forever change how telemedicine is used.
0: Now, let's move on to the economic fallout from the outbreak. During this crisis, U.S. business activity has come to a grinding halt, and the stock market has seen its sharpest decline since 1987. The government response is still in the works, as both Congress and the White House continue working on stimulus plans aimed at limiting the economic toll on businesses and individuals. Several Rand economists and other policy experts provided their insights on this important topic. There's a lot to cover here, but here's a sample of what they had to say. Senior economist Howard Schatz says that it's hard to see how a recession could be avoided, because there have been global shocks to both supply and demand. We're in uncharted territory here, he says. A useful analogy may be what happens to the global trading system during major wars. But there are ways to reduce the size of the shock and reduce the likelihood of a prolonged recession. Shoring up healthcare systems and increasing testing capabilities would help, for example. And the quicker the pandemic is halted, the quicker the economy can return to normal.
1: But what parts of the economy need support most urgently? RAND economist Benjamin Miller says it's important to ensure that industries hit hardest by the pandemic, such as aviation, hospitality, restaurants, and events management, can weather the storm until restrictions on public gatherings are lifted and the demand for travel resumes. This is key to ensuring that the economy bounces back quickly after the immediate health concerns have abated, he says. But he also notes that it's important to think carefully about the strings attached to any assistance from federal taxpayers.
0: Direct payments to individuals and families are also being discussed as a way to help the economy rebound. Brand's Deborah Knopman says that direct cash payments such as these, particularly for people who don't have health insurance or who are unemployed, along with a, quote, Maniacal focus on the infrastructure, staffing, training, and equipping of the public health system has to be the nation's top priority. You can find the complete discussion with RAND's economic experts on the RAND blog.
1: Another area that has been upended by COVID-19 is higher education. During the crisis, many colleges and universities have replaced face-to-face instruction with online learning. This move may be viewed as temporary, but according to RAND experts, it's actually accelerating a shift toward distance learning that was already taking place before the outbreak. In the long run, as these online learning technologies mature, they could help make higher education more accessible and more affordable for students. Distance learning could also result in a split in the higher education marketplace. Imagine two segments— one with a higher price tag that provides a classic residential undergraduate experience, and another lower-cost online or blended model.
0: Finally, let's close with some evidence-based tips from Rand's Wendy Troxell that can help you take better care of yourself and your family during this stressful time. Troxell notes that all this disruption to Americans' daily lives, as schools and places of business have closed, can really wreak havoc on our sleep but there are steps you can take to make sure that you get the sleep you need and help support your well-being and immune system. First, set a schedule for yourself and your family. That means consistent bedtimes and wake-up times, and trying to maintain some consistency in your routine throughout the day. This might also include setting limits on the amount of time you spend consuming news or social media, which for many can increase anxiety and disrupt sleep. Second, get some form of physical activity every day. Going for a walk or a run outside is okay, provided that you can keep your distance from others. Or, if going outside isn't an option, there are a lot of free exercise apps out there to try. Whatever you choose, exercise is important. It can help support healthy sleep, and that's critical for your mental and physical well-being. Third, stay connected with others, but do so virtually. Research has shown that lonely people have more sleep problems, and sleep problems can actually make you feel lonely. It's a vicious cycle. So at a time when you might be feeling especially isolated from your coworkers, friends, and family, it's important to get creative about staying connected. Maybe try hosting a virtual coffee hour or happy hour. Fourth, and finally, do a good deed for someone else give blood if you are able, buy a gift certificate from a local restaurant or store that may be struggling to survive financially, or simply write a letter, an email, or FaceTime someone to let them know you're thinking of them. Such selfless acts are good for the mental health of the giver as well as the recipient, and can even help support healthy sleep. And when in doubt, Troxel says there's one thing you should keep in mind. This too shall pass. Looking into an unknown future and trying to predict when a crisis will be over can be overwhelming. So, try taking it one day or just one moment at a time.
1: RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision-making through research and analysis. For more on what we covered this week, check the show notes at rand.org/podcast.
0: And if you want to stay on top of RAND's latest on the pandemic, visit rand.org slash coronavirus. Take care of yourselves, and we'll see you next week.